Hello everyone, welcome to the Arseholics podcast, recording on a Monday evening um, after our game on Saturday against Brighton at home, which we sadly lost 2-1. I've got Aaron in with me, um, so I've got a fellow Arseholics back in the room with me. Aaron, how, how are you doing? You okay? <laughs> yeah, I've not... I've never really not looked forward to doing a podcast, but <laughs> I think just the way. So yeah, like it's Monday night now and I spent the bulk of Sunday trying to forget about the game. And I think I just finished processing everything yesterday and then we had a day to think about it even more. And now we have to relive the <laughs> the experience with our listeners, which is not going to be fun. It's true. I mean, I guess at least we've had a couple of days to dwell, so everything might not be so raw. But I mean, let, let's let's just cast. I don't know. Man. I think yeah, it's I know it's true because we were we were talking about <laughs> we probably made the mistake of talking about this beforehand, and now we've riled ourselves up. Um, but if we get look, let, let's cast our minds back to Saturday. The weather was brilliant. It started off so well. Everton beat United, and you know. It was, oh, yeah. do you know what I mean? I completely it was all, forgot about that. It was a set We can't even enjoy we that. We couldn't even enjoy it. It was just set up so beautifully, like for a day. And then look, the big talking point before uh, the game on Saturday was the lineup, right? Post Palace, you know, we've been rocked with the news that Tierney is out for the season. We were equally rocked with the fact that it sounds like Partey's probably going to be out for the majority of the season. They're They're talking about assessing his injury. But it doesn't look good. So these are two, you know, nailed-on starters in our in our team who look like they're going to be out for this incredibly crucial, um, you know, final eight games or at least the majority of it. So the big talk really was, you know, given especially given Tavares's sort of fairly patchy performances of late, was what that lineup was going to be. Um, and the lineup he went with was Ramsdale got his place back in goal. Granit Xhaka moved out of midfield into left back. Ben White, Gabriel retaining their places in the centre of defence. We've got Cedric on the right. The midfield looked on paper like it had Lukonga as a sole kind of pivot, playing with Emile Smith-Rowe and then, you know, Odegaard and Martinelli and Saka and, and Lacazette up top. So it was unclear on paper exactly how that, you know, midfield was going to be. Was it going to be Smith-Rowe playing with Lukonga? Um, but you know, w- when the lineup was announced, mate, when you saw that lineup, what were your thoughts? Is that what you wanted? No. Um, so I was, I was quite clear with this. I think you probably, we spoke about this and I think you were broadly aligned and actually I know like social media isn't representative of the entire fan base, but I thought if you broadly did a, a poll of what the fans wanted, which is not necessarily the the right thing to do. You, I think most fans were like, actually give Tavares a game at left back. Um, and that was my thinking for for two or three main reasons, which, again, like I'm not happy about this, but I think have been proven very, very right in the sense that I think all those concerns I had manifested themselves in one way or another during that game. Um, so my main... I think my main con- like reason for wanting it is actually like we we bought Tavares in in the summer where we were like okay we we've got a left back in Kieran Tierney who sometimes has a fitness problems um so let's buy a backup left back and everyone was like look well done and you know in the early part of the season we were like actually we've done really well here to get a left back for little money who's happy to be a deputy 
this is perfect. And he came in and he had a really good run. And there was a point where some of us, I, I was never this, you know, brought into him, but some of us were saying, this guy could actually become our number one left back. And, and, he, and, did, he, and he did replace Tierney he, briefly when Tierney came back. Briefly, yeah, 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 briefly. And then he made mistakes, like any young player does. Mm. And then since then, he's been in and out of the team because, you know, he hasn't been playing well. And now, and and I can understand. And then he got, obviously, the game at the start of Palace where he wasn't great. I didn't think he was awful, but he wasn't great. And he got hooked. And then if you're, but at this point, I just think it's Brighton at home. It's the, you know, it sounds painful saying this now, it's the easiest game of our running. And you're not going to get a better game to give a give a you know a, a rough player a game to find his feet and settle in for a potentially decisive running. Now he didn't do that, and now you have to ask the question: Well, if he brings him back in now, like where, like mm. what's the point? Because you're not, you know, every game from now is like magnitudes harder than what he would have had on on Saturday. Um, and then and then the other thing, which I think I didn't appreciate as much, but actually I actually think was probably the bigger factor here is the fact that when you have Jacker at left back, you've moved him out of midfield. So our midfield instantly became much worse because we had Lekonga there. Again, a young player who has ups and downs like any young player. And now all of a sudden he's being forced to operate the midfield on his own against I think three Brighton midfielders and he didn't play well but he wasn't supported and it just seems like the whole team selection set us up for failure so whatever Arteta was thinking he got it wrong I don't think you can like would you go as far as saying that he he cost us a game yeah I think for me this is you know I'm a huge Arteta fan I'm a huge Arteta in fan whatever you want to call it but I believe that he got it wrong and I believe that his selections ultimately did cost us. Now, what, why, why do you think he did? Well, so you know what? It's whenever it's very rare that most of the Arsenal fan base tend to agree on something. And I know like with, with the Arseholics as well, these days we tend to not agree on that much, but we all did agree. I think on this idea that if Partey is out of the team, then removing Xhaka as well from your central midfield suddenly takes, you know, your two experienced central midfielders out in one go. And not only that, but this idea of Tavares, which you eloquently described about, you know, Brighton at home, at least try and get him back in the form. He's your left, he's your backup left back. I think all the Arsenal fan base was sort of thinking, okay, do you know what? Can you, maybe we just shouldn't disrupt the, the lineup so much. Clearly, like, you know, Arteta is a, is a is a is a coach whether some people believe he's a top coach or not he knows more about football than most of us i think we can we can all agree yeah. that but everything that us laymen thought was going to go wrong went wrong yeah. right it was like yeah, yeah. you know and that was kind of the real baffling thing to to watch this unfold so when i think the you know i think the question of why did he do it it might be that because earlier on in the season when he did deploy Xhaka as left back at times and, you know, the relationship that he seemed to be able to cultivate with Emile Smith-Rowe on that left-hand side actually well, wasn't... When, so did he, when did he play left back? Because the only time I remember was in the back end of last season when Tierney got injured. And I remember we had this conversation and I was at that point said, let's give it a go. But I remember Mize was very strongly against it. Um and you know he was right it was 
he started off pretty well, but then it, every game just seemed to get worse and worse. Did he start at left back of the season? The times I'm recalling is when we were playing the this, this, the games that we played three at the back, where he basically played as the left-sided player of the three. Or I wonder whether I'm like incorrectly recalling this. And just, you know, there was that period of time where it felt like Kieran Tierney, for whatever reason, was struggling. And Xhaka's positions on the pitch tended to be yeah. kind of, he, he was sort of covering that area a little bit more. But... He did, yeah, he did that. Yeah. And that was probably at the start of the season. But there was that period last season where he, he, he played left back yeah. in the absence of Tierney, yeah. which with hindsight was a disaster. And that's what annoys me a bit in that, you know, yeah. we can debate whether we lost the game because Xhaka was at left back. But actually, even if Xhaka is at left back and he he's not really shown that much that he can do at left back. And the way he played on Saturday was a, a bit weird in the sense that it seemed like, you know, he wasn't bombing up and down the touchline like Tierney would mm. or even Tavares would. Um, he seemed to just go inside quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and actually for the first goal where they kind of broke down the left side with a long ball, um, it was because he'd come inside, which was obviously a plan and instruction because I'd had to mention that in the post game. Um, and it just seemed like that whole game plan was just wrong. Yeah, completely. Uh, uh- I'm not sure why it, I'm trying to, if I, if I give myself, if I think about, you know, in the most optimistic way and, and give Arteta all the benefit of the doubt, then, then maybe part of it was because he thought, well, actually this might be the most sustainable way in which I think we can get through even tougher games. Maybe he thought that actually, even if he plays Tavares into a little bit of form, actually, given the players that, you know, given the combination of Tierney and Partey out, maybe he needs to play this system and maybe that's a better system for when we play the likes of Chelsea away and West Ham away. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what he thought. I think you're giving him too much credit uh, but, there. Yeah, but that's, that's <laughs> what, I guess that's what I'm saying. Even if I'm being super optimistic, that's all I can think of. I mean, the other thing is, the other possibility is, Tavares's confidence is even more shot than we recognize. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, but whose fault is that? Well, yeah, fair, to- totally fair enough. Totally fair enough. I mean, I, I understand like he it's Tavares when he's been playing, he hasn't, you know, been amazing. Like let's, it's not like this is a, a player that's, you know, playing really well that Arteta isn't playing, but I think for whatever reason, it's, it's clear that Arteta has his favorites mm. in the, there's these like 10, 11 players that he likes and he trusts. And actually, and maybe if you, you probably add like the 11, you know, usual starters plus Smith Rowe. And then you've got a couple of fringe players like, you know, Eddie and Ketio and holding and they're his go-to players. And actually what he'd rather do is have a combination of those players on the pitch by essentially he, he played Jacker there, brought Smith Rowe in, played Odegaard and then, Obviously, Lokonga came in for party, and that almost protect. He feels a bit more safer with the, his trusted names on the pitch, mm. rather than risk it a bit more with someone he clearly doesn't trust yet. Yeah. Um, and that, and it just, I don't know. I and I also think again, this is maybe wild speculation, but I do think Arteta just has this te- a pep-like tendency of when things require an obvious solution he sometimes just tends to overthink it a bit Mm -hmm. in that the obvious solution was there like we have a left back keep everything the same and play the left back exactly you've got a backup left back 
That's what he's yeah. there to do. Be a backup yeah. left back. Play the backup left back. And it just, it caused so many, like the more I think about it, the more annoyed I became by it. Because like, like I said, right, you move Jacker out to left back. You then have Lakonga playing in the middle. And then you have, you've completely disorientated the midfield by playing Smith Rowe and Erdegaard, you know, in a combination of eight, an eight and a 10. And what was working really well was this combination between Odegaard playing high up the pitch, um, Saka playing on the right, and then to a certain, certain extent, Lacazette just kind of interplaying and dropping deep to essentially move those two into position. But because you've now got Smith Rowe in there and Odegaard now dropping deep, that whole attacking five got completely ruined. Mm. And it just seemed like no one knew what they were doing. Now, there were individual performances there, and we'll talk about this later on, that didn't help this. Yeah. But ultimately, like if you had a similar system, like everything was different. The players looked completely confused in terms of how to attack. And it just seemed like, you know, Odegaard and Lacazette were getting in each other's spaces. Um, Smith Rowe was getting in everyone else's space. And this understanding between Odegaard, Saka and, Smith, uh, Odegaard, Saka and Lacazette wasn't there because we'd rearranged this midfield. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, yeah, and it just annoyed me. And I'm sure it probably has implications at the back too, where, you know, Gabriel and Ben White probably have a certain way of playing with their left back. And they have an understanding with Tierney who goes up and down and Gabriel probably knows when to cover, when not to cover. But if Jack is going inside, it probably just causes even more confusion as well for the centre-backs. Well, so, so, so shall I maybe present the question then, um, because this is something that's been talked about on Twitter a little bit, is you, you're speaking about this familiarity with kind of some of these combinations. And part of that is because it feels like we've had a set team and we've been playing yeah. this set team over and over again. And one of the challenges that some people have made on 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 social media is that we've paid the price for not rotating. Hmm. And rotating not for the sake of fitness, rotating for the sake of keeping play, players fresh so that when they are called upon, they can do something. And Lokonga is the advert for this, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like you, you, you've basically thrown this kid in who you've hardly played for a long time. You've hardly played him. He's hardly even come off the bench, you know, like just to, mm-hmm. for minutes. And now you basically ask him to completely control the midfield and take out both those experienced players, like a way he's just there on his own. Is, is that, is, do, you, do you, in hindsight, think that we should have rotated more? I think... That's one of those things that's nice in theory, but actually when you look at it, since January, we haven't had a cup game. We've had, what, 10 league games or something? In any of those league games, when would you have played Sambi Lokonga instead of Granit Xhaka or Thomas Partey? Mm -hmm. And in any of those league games, when would you have taken Granit Xhaka or Thomas Partey off to give Sambi Lokonga minutes? When would you have played Nuno Tavares instead of Kieran Tierney? Like the minute he comes off, if they make a mistake... The you know the challenge is going to be why on earth are you giving players minutes in our main competition when we have fifteen games left? And that is I mean, yeah, the downside is if one of them does get injured, the you know, the players aren't fresh, and that's fair. But I don't know. I think if you're a, a professional footballer, I kind of feel like actually it's your responsibility to be ready when the time comes. I think it's very and you can you can expect the manager to help you by giving you minutes and that's fair but the reality is we're in one competition it's our main competition it's not like we're winning games 3-0 4-0 when you can afford to give players minutes every game 
we usually win by like one goal. So we're hanging on. There's no space to just say, actually, we're going to bring on a Lokonga there. You know, in an ideal world, he gets cup games or he gets, you know, European competition or something like that. But we haven't been in the cups. Um, So, yeah, I don't I don't really buy that. And, and, And I guess it's, you know, it's one thing saying that, you know, rotation is the issue. But in reality, you know, putting on players who are cold and prov- and not providing them with adequate support i think is yeah. is is probably more of an issue and i think that putting lakonga in and a young central midfielder to dominate a midfield you know when you haven't played that much without a partner mm-hmm. it's just it's just tough so i mean you know more on kind of individuals i guess because you see brighton we could be really harsh here and just say you know brighton have been pretty trash for a while their own fans tend to boo them more often than not when they play at home at the moment um you could say they're being harsh but the fact is they haven't been very good for a while when they scored they started singing uh we scored a goal yeah i didn't i didn't hear that i'm actually (laughs) glad i didn't hear that would have pissed me off even more jesus yeah um you know they're not whatever but you know graham Potter. but you know graham potter is a is a decent manager Do, do you think that um because against against crystal palace for example um you know i'm sure you know Graham Potter would have watched that game and taken notes and tried to see the things that Palace did well that, you know, stopped us doing well. And and and, and one of the things I thought was um, Palace stopped the supply to, to Odegaard and effectively mm-hmm. kind of rendered him irrelevant. It was a very similar kind of performance from Odegaard where I didn't really feel that he necessarily had a bad game. I felt that he wasn't really receiving the ball in, in good areas and, and it could be because of what you said before around the fact that he was dragged into slightly deeper positions because of Arteta's formation. Mm-hmm. How much of an issue do you think that is, that seemingly if Odegaard stops playing now, we seem kind of void of ideas? Yeah, I think actually if you look at the Palace game, what I thought was that the way they stopped Odegaard was by stopping Thomas Partey. Mm. Um, and by stopping Thomas Partey, what, all they did was basically surround him with midfielders who ran and I thought players like Conor Gallagher on Monday had a really good game and actually what they did today was they dealt with Lukonga and Lukonga was on his own so they you know with the three midfielders they basically ambushed him pressed him harassed him and stopped him from getting the ball anywhere decent and that then stopped Erdegaard from getting the ball anywhere decent and then when you break that link in midfield through having Jacker, well you know, what usually happens is Xhaka and Partey get the ball to Erdogan in a dangerous position. And then he does his ma- magic with Saka. But you're right. That completely stopped Erdogan getting the ball anywhere decent. That on top of like what you said, the fact that he was being asked to drop deep into positions where he probably wouldn't normally be or want to be just meant that it completely nullified our entire attack. Mm. And then again, you, you you go back and then say, well, actually in that situation, you probably want one of your fullbacks pushing up and giving them an option. But I thought Cedric and Jacka were, you know, quite, uh, what's the word? Like, you know, didn't really push forward in a, and didn't get really give them the width. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a combination of things. And again, it goes back to this thing where you, when you disrupt one thing to protect your left back or to, you know, make sure that you're protected at left back, he broke so many other things. And then on top of that, I thought Brighton really did really well. And and stop the stop the ball getting to Erdogan, like you said. Yeah, it's. I I think, although 
we don't want to be too negative all the time. Um, I think it is important though, to, yeah, because there's a lot of fans on on social media who have been saying, "Well, okay, but if if Martinelli's goal is allowed, when you know it was an incredibly debatable kind of offside call." <sighs> okay, all right, yeah, we should talk about this. So, what what did you feel? So, I was at the time like, in, the, in the ground, right? It's very hard because you you don't know you, you see it being reviewed, and it went on for a long time. And I remember even thinking at that time, given how long it's going on for, I, I was like. If if you need to look at it for this long, surely it's not that clear and surely there's a level yeah. of debate. And what's always bothered me about offside is around the frame that they always take because it's always a case of, you know, did did the ball leave the foot at that millisecond, like, et cetera, et cetera. So that was my initial feeling. Now, from seeing the the replays, it frustrates me even more because it feels like there's so many frames where it looks quite clearly that a Brighton player's foot is actually you know, mm-hmm. playing them on side. But there are other frames, if you look at it, depending on kind of, you know, when you stop the tape, where perhaps it doesn't, it looks like he's slightly offside. But it just frustrates me so much that something that debatable, clearly where there's angles that are, you know, indecisive, you give it offside. I mean, what what was your thoughts? Yeah, I I don't think either of us, because we're at the ground, when you, when you tend to watch games in the stadium, you don't get as wound up by refereeing decisions in in the stadium because you either don't see the replays or you know when you watch it on tv however they show it to you like four or five times but i'd actually gone to get a drink at that point and in the screens and the concourse they had the full like var experience i don't know i think you'd come inside at this point but if we were sat at our seats we probably wouldn't have seen all the replays mm. but like you said they spent five minutes and i don't think any referee could look at that and confirm and say hand on heart they are 100% sure that's offside um and therefore if you're not 100% sure it's offside it's you can't gi- and it's give been it given on side like it's not on the pitch yeah, it wasn't I mean, given you know so yeah it's not given but i guess what in that situation the linesman wasn't sure fine right? so he probably the says trend. Yes, yeah, yeah that's the current yeah, way yeah, they yeah, do it right fine, so enough. it's not like fouls where they have to make a fair call enough. the linesman's not sure which is enough reason to say okay i'll look at it and but that, like the first time I saw it, I actually thought it was offside. But the more they look at it, the less clear I am. And they would have gone through that same process where the more they look at it, and you can see where they zoom in, where they don't zoom in, where they try and see who touched the ball last. There were a lot of areas where it was doubtful. And I just think it's just another example of a call where it's 50-50 and it's gone against us. And there have been a lot of calls like that where they've found ways to stop us rather than finding ways to give things for us. And like, as bad as we were, as bad as the team tactics were, as bad as the players were, as bad as, you know, almost everyone on the pitch was, if we go into that game at halftime at 1-1, it is a very, very different game. It's completely different. And I think you're right. We we didn't, we probably didn't deserve to score from a kind of the balance no, of play. We didn't, but it's irrelevant, really, isn't it? That's not how football works. Like at the sometimes end of it, you, we, sometimes we score. Sometimes yeah. we score exactly <laughs> at the end of you know when, when when you look at the league table, you don't go and reflect and go, yeah, but there was that game where they didn't really deserve to win. You know, you know no one really cares. So that it completely changes everything. Unfortunately, you know whatever. But I think that you know I think we sort of want to want to focus more on the themes, and you know I think it's yeah. appropriate to do so. And the fact is, like it's not on the balance of play we didn't deserve to win that game um when we were 2-0 down 
and we were searching for goals yes you know we were piling on more of the pressure we were we were attacking more brighton were kind of sitting a bit within themselves we had a couple of chances you know towards the back end um i think it did eddie hit the crossbar at some point you know he hit the crossbar yeah so he hit the crossbar i think after we scored the first mm. but then he had a chance before that where it was you know that cross at the far post yeah. and then he had a like a, a relatively easy open goal but it was quite a hard shot to take when it was high. Um, and then I think... Then obviously Odegaard. Yeah, there are a couple of other shots as well. And Odegaard scores his goal, which is which is pretty heavily deflected. Looks great. It's at a quite a fun time of the game where you've got a little bit of time left. And there were some bizarre decisions from the team, you know, in injury time. I don't know if you recall that kind of set-piece routine that Corner. we took. Yeah, and then someone was yeah. played up, someone was offside and it was... Because just... Pepe played it into Odegaard who yeah. was offside. Well, that was ridiculous. That was infuriating, right? wasn't it? That, that was so bad. And that's that's the type of stuff that just wasn't happening six games it's ago. True. It's very true. Um, six games ago, we bring Pepe on, he plays really well and gets a, you know, gets an equaliser and, you know, plays a huge part in Lacazette's, Lacazette's winner or Lacazette's deflected winner uh, against Wolves. Um but yeah, everything that come like just everything that could go wrong at the moment is just going wrong. And- so do you think? And so you know, one of the, another thing that you know people have been wondering over the, the season is because this is such a young team. Uh, ultimately, you know, when the pressure is on towards this kind of back end of the season, and if you know some things don't go our way, will they lose confidence through kind of experience, their lack of experience? And you know, the counter to this is actually throughout this season there's been various times where we have lost the game and actually bounced back. Like, mm-hmm. and, and so that, you know, that's been a sign of character, but the, this kind of, this palace result, this Brighton result is showing shades of, of the Emery kind of era of that season where it was palace and Brighton game. Yeah. That palace and all, Zaha. Like unwound, yeah. You know, unwound. Do you worry, you know, like from what, I mean, even just picking up on what you said before, you know, that kind of those, these, some of these things weren't happening six games ago. Some of these bizarre things that, are, you know, we were doing in the final six minutes. Whereas, whereas get some games before we had all this belief mm. until the final whistle. Are you sensing a lack of confidence and belief in the team at all? Yeah. If I'm being and honest. is that a big problem? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really worried just because the, the things we now have to do to fix it become harder. Like we have to sort out this left back issue. We have to sort out the midfield issue. We have to sort out the goal scoring issue. And some of that is self-inflicted. And it's one of those things where if you had told me and you told the team that actually with what eight games to go would be three points off fourth with a game in hand, most fans would have said, I'll take that any day. It's true. But it's how you, you know, how you uh, arrive at that run-in. You know, we've now, it's it's a bit annoying that Spurs dipped and have now found form, whereas actually, regardless of where we finished, like, if we had been fifth all this time, and we are still fifth now, looking up at Spurs, saying, you know, we can catch them with three points to go, three games, you know, five games to go, whatever, with three points, three points behind them, I think we would have been a lot more confident chasing them. But the way it's gone, where actually we would leapfrog them, we had a bit of space, we had the games, and then arguably what you say is our our easier games where we drop where we've dropped points, where you'd expect us to win. Because if you looked at this run in, you'd say actually, okay, Palace, Brighton, Southampton, if we get nine points there, mm-hmm. then actually going into the final few games, we've got probably a bit of distance. Yeah. Spurs probably won't win 
every game. They, yeah, exactly. They've and got therefore, Liverpool coming up. Yeah. yeah. And like even the games have gone, mm. like they'd probably, you know, they might not win against Newcastle. They might struggle against Villa. They might struggle against West Ham. Mm. And then you think, okay, it's different. But actually to go in front, to build up that lead and then to drop points mm-hmm. in games where you think to win with the injuries, it just looked to me like the team know and feel that they are in a bit of trouble. And you look at the expressions on their faces, you look at their confidence, it's not good. And this is when you really want your senior players to step up and just say, okay, I know we're playing badly. I know we've got young players who've not been here before who whose form go go up and down. But actually, I'm just going to, I'm going to go and win this game for the team by myself. Yeah. And we've got no one in the squad who can just take the game by the scruff of the neck and say, I'm just going to go and win this game for us. And let's talk about this, you know, there's a point, that point about senior players, that point about taking it around the scruff of the neck about scoring goals. Um, we haven't touched on, on a big topic that you and I and the rest of the <laughs> Arseholics were talking about um, not so long ago before we started recording this pod. So we're going to talk a little bit about Lacazette and Eddie and just the striker situation, Not mainly because I think it's probably quite a good, a good uh, point in the season to kind of revisit that because ultimately, mm-hmm. look, let's just go back for a very, very sort of brief history lesson. Um, Oba has some issues with Arteta. Oba gets shipped out. Lacquer is our kind of number one striker with Eddie as his backup dancer and we decide to not get a player in in January. Post, you know, mm-hmm. post Oba leaving, actually things look not so bad. Like Lacquer's asked to play some a role which is really, really bringing the best out of ESR, of Martinelli, of Saka, of Odegaard. He's this, he's this kind of like real foil player of you know, coming into deeper positions and and winning the ball and being annoying and, and working really, really hard. And everything's going well because we're scoring loads of goals. But he's not. But it's okay because everyone mm-hmm. else is scoring goals. But he, but crucially, mm-hmm. he is not. Now, he has continued to not score goals. He is the opposite of a goal threat and has been the opposite of the goal <laughs> threat for, for a little while yeah. now. And sadly, those other players... Those other young kind of forwards who, 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 you know, who he was the foil for, um, they've kind of dried up at the moment. Now, all of a sudden, you kind of go senior player, senior striker, captain at the moment, step up and score some goals, and it's it's not happening. How much of a problem is this for you, mate? And and do you think we got this horribly wrong? Because you know, if our if Eddie is the backup dancer who is probably going to be on his way out at the end of the season has shown us very 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 little very little for a, for a while either it's it's almost a god like you know if your alternative to taking lacquer off is to put eddie on then we're all screwed that's the feeling that we have at the moment have we got this badly did we get this badly wrong in january in january or look hindsight is a wonderful thing um that's like and uh, I, look, let's see where we go. But honestly, I think the fact that we we took a huge gamble, we knew Lacazette wasn't scoring goals. And we knew we'd stumbled on this system where he plays uh, a kind of deeper role and he brings out the best in players like Saka, in players like Erdegaard and players like Martinelli. Um, but I just think, and I'll come back to like, should we have done something else in, in January in, in a minute? But I just think we get such a, an easy ride sometimes with just how bad he is 
going forward and scoring goals. Like this is a 50 million pound striker, right? We've had 50 million pounds and I watch him now and he just has zero interest or zero belief that he's going to score goals. Mm -hmm. I was watching him when he was, you know, in the box he always just seems to take up the worst possible positions, like which is usually the back post behind a defender. And it's just assumed that, you know, you know we've, we've probably said it a few times, like what's the point in crossing the ball in? Because, you know, it's only Lacazette. Um, I think Lacazette knows that. He's not going to fight for a cross. And I think the defenders know that. They think, well, this guy isn't even going to get the box. And if he does get in the box, he's largely going to be quite ineffective. And, you know, how many goals has he scored this season? Um, that are not penalties. I don't know. Two, and I read something that like in the second half or maybe even full time, don't quote me on this, but he had something like six passes in the game or something like that. Like something ridiculous. Um, and like, yeah, it's all well and good that you, you drop deep and that's fine. And that's, that's your role in the squad. But you, even if that was Smith Rowe, you'd expect, expect more than he scoring him scoring two or three goals this season as a midfielder, like you can't have someone that is doing absolutely nothing when it comes to contributions going forward. And this isn't like some young up up and coming kid. This is our most senior player, our captain, um, arguably one of the most accomplished players on the pitch. And, you know, we knew this, you know, we knew he was never, I mean, I don't think Arteta, I think Arteta probably expected a bit more from him in January, but ultimately we made a call to say, we're going to run with Lacazette and Balogun, I mean, Lacazette and Eddie and Ketia. And we're going to hope that between those two, plus the goals that we'd hopefully get from Saka, Martinelli, Smithrow, Erdegaard, that will get us through to the end of the season. And I think you had to be really, really optimistic for that to work out because not only do you have two strikers who probably have about four or five goals between them all season, you then have young players who are, completely unproven in terms of consistently being goal scorers and they're young players who will have great moments where they rescue us but they will also have moments where they're really quiet where they struggle where they need help and to build the entire season on that I think you can either look at look at it as a a gamble where you say you know we were either arrogant or we got carried away or maybe if I'm giving you know the the Arsenal hierarchy, the benefit, the doubt, I think they said, well, you know what? If we don't get top four this season, it doesn't matter because I'd rather not break the plan that we're building towards something than risk going for top four now that does break the plan. And this is what we were talking about, right? Which is like, should we gamble on going for top four? Um, And should we gamble on getting there now a season early at the risk of like signing someone that, probably might not be the might not work out long term that might disrupt the team in the next six you know, to 12 months yeah. or do you just say that this is a structure if we can't get the long-term signing which we tried to do in Lahovic yeah. that didn't work out we say well we'd rather not sign anyone and not take that short-term gamble yeah so I mean because the Vlahovic the Vlahovic situation is probably evidence that your you know your possible theory about whether it's a case of we have a plan and we're not deviating from that plan it seems like that's that that is the case, right? Because it's not a case yeah. where the board said you don't have any money to spend in January. The board mm. clearly said if one of our strategic targets comes up, you can have all the money. And yeah. clearly, like we tried to do that, 
and you know it didn't work out and that was essentially a case of trying to accelerate our plans and hey if we had got Blavich in January it's very hard to imagine that we wouldn't be in a better position than we are now it's very very difficult to imagine that 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 wouldn't be the case but we couldn't get him and like you say then then there's that that case of saying all right well do we get someone who is not in the plan but is someone that we think that all right he might be available for 15 20 25 million i don't know and we genuinely think that if we sign this player even as a backup striker it will increase our chances of getting top four and you know what it might not be a player we would have got otherwise and it might not be a player that we even want for that long but mm-hmm. but we want to do it because we genuinely believe that it will give us a better chance of finishing in the top four and it feels like you know that that question was asked and they said no we don't want to yeah. do that I think there's a couple of things there. I think I reckon if you probably asked deep down, did we really think in January we'd be in contention for top four? Yeah. I can't remember where we were in January at the start of the season, league wise, but I don't think you had anticipated Tottenham dropping points and Man United being as bad as they were since. And us and going on that run, like you say, five away games, exactly. you know, it yeah. was only Man City I think we lost to and then, you know, eventually then Liverpool, right? But then other than that. Yeah, exactly. And I think maybe they thought, you know what, like top four is going to be too much of a stretch. I don't think they thought we'd be this close Mm. come April, knowing that actually we might need those goals against Palace or against Brighton, or maybe they thought actually against Palace or Brighton, we'll probably have enough, but against Chelsea, West Ham, like Liverpool, Man Man United, whatever, we'll probably fall short. And that's where we'll end up finishing fifth or sixth. And, you know, it's, it's hard to say, but I... I can't help feel that actually, look, this is all like, it's all hindsight. Like we don't know where we're going to be in the summer, right? If we can go and sign two top quality strikers in the summer where, who are like part of a long-term plan or not top quality, but a, you know, plan A striker and a plan B striker in the summer. And then that gets us fourth for the next three years. Then in the grand scheme of things, a long-term plan, we probably don't, um, don't look back on this and say, Oh, what if we had that striker this summer? Mm. But I mean, what if you had that striker in January? But sometimes I just feel like we've been so burned by these dodgy short-term signings before, like the Williams. Um, I'm not sure who else we signed in January, but there's ones know. that you don't like. There's like Cedric, well, Cedric who you I still mean, like dislike. Cedric, yeah. <laughs> who, yeah, exactly. Like if we we could be lumped with someone like that, but I think when the alternative is Eddie Ketia and Lacazette, who have a track record of not delivering and maybe we should talk about what we do going forward with those two but would uh would any striker could we have found you know a better striker for 15 million 20 million either a senior pro in in somewhere in in the premier league or somewhere in in europe or even like a an up-and-coming 21 year old who's fallen out of favor at a top club who might be available who we could just sneak on the cheap somehow and then like i just feel like there must be someone out there. And we were so married to this plan. If this is a long-term goal that, you know, maybe we have something really special planned for the summer. And that's the only way you justify it. Because if we don't go and sign top, top quality strikers in the summer, then the question is, well, why don't we just spend that in January and get that average Mm. player in 
now rather than getting an average player in the summer. Well, if all reports are to be believed, and even Arteta has sort of, you know, made these sounds, he has just as big plans for this summer as we had the summer just gone, right? There are, Mm -hmm. he wants to, you know, he wants the squad bigger. He wants, you know, he said it, that he needs someone to put the ball in the back of the net. And he has said that. And the Vlahovic pursuit for me is, is a clear evidence that, you know, They've got targets, and if they're you know if they're available, etc. Um, look, I, I think just to, to to go back to kind of your, your to what you were saying before, for me it feels like a situation where they've said tactically we think the best way that for us to go is to create a system which gets the most out of our wide players and 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 increases the attacking potential there, and yeah. that's what we're going to do. And as far as a plan B goes, well we don't really want to spend money in January on a plan B that, you know, we, we, but that perhaps is just a short term, a short term fix, something, a problem that we might need to solve, et cetera. And maybe it genuinely was a case where they thought they looked at it and they get, is there anyone out there that we think that we would actually want for 20 million? Let's just say that we're just, we're pulling 20 million out of the air, but let's just say it's yeah, 20 yeah, million. whatever it is. And yeah. maybe, the, maybe they, they did look at that and then they went, no, actually, you know, there isn't, there isn't one that we think is a, is a, is a good solution to this. Do you, do you buy that? Do you really think if uh, a Chelsea or if uh, a Liverpool or if uh, a Man City needed a striker in, in January where they were like, okay, well, if we don't buy a striker, it's really going to damage our chances of getting top four. Do you really think they don't find anyone? I think they go and get someone. I know they probably got the money to go and make bigger mistakes and, take those risks where if they spend 20 million and it doesn't work out it's okay for them because they can just go and spend another 20 million on another striker in the summer or whatever but i think it probably does come back down to that i think i think we have been burned massively by our fear of short-term signings sometimes and i think you know maybe we're so attached to this plan like, let's see, we'll never know, right? And then the other thing that, you know, Mai's made this point is that in which case, maybe should we have just kept hold of Balogun and said, yeah. actually, like, yeah, you know, yeah, it's going to cost him six months of development time, but actually, screw your six months of development time. What we need you to do is actually come on in three games in the next 18 and get us a goal. Um, yes. And maybe they thought Eddie could be that player, but well, then that's a, yeah, that's a bad call on Eddie. Well, my only... So, so I'm inclined to agree to say that if we if we believe Balogun's as big a talent as we think he is, we offered him, you know, we gave him a new contract. Allegedly, a million clubs wanted to wanted to sign him, and if we know that Eddie's going to go, why didn't we have Balogun as our backup striker? So, on one hand, I, I think that on on another hand, I sort of think, well, you know, Balogun couldn't get a loan move to a Premier League club yet, you know, mm-hmm. and he's gone to a Championship club. And actually, he seems to be doing okay now, but it's not like he's yeah. completely not. It's not like the world is talking about him. So maybe to some extent, they knew very clearly. They were like, mm, like he's not going to be the right backup option right now. It's better for him to go out on loan. And again, maybe this kind of this kind of really backs up this whole point about how they perhaps are just really looking at the long term kind of. For yeah, yeah, I squad, agree. Perhaps. I was going to say that. Actually, yeah, I think that when you analyze it rationally the message is actually we would rather not get top four this season than risk messing up the long-term plan. Yeah. So this is a fairly contentious, I think, view, but but I think that it there is something there, which is that 
there's an argument to say that our squad is nowhere near ready to play Champions League football from a purely from a kind of like numbers perspective and etc. It's it's just not ready, yeah. right? So th- th- there's an there's an argument to say that actually would we be able to actually bolster it in the right way to compete in the Champions League and and maintain a position of like top maintain a top four fight next season is actually a smarter way of managing this squad to almost take it to the Europa League next, increase the squad size a little yeah, bit. I'm not, I'm just, I don't I'm know not saying I agree with it. I'm saying that is that is a, the- a theory of actually, do we shoot ourselves in the foot by next season playing in the, you know, if we're in the Champions League and it's, and it's just too taxing and actually we end up falling out of the top four again. And, you know. All right, yeah, I don't, I don't, the more I think, I don't really buy that. I think the Champions League group stage has some bang average teams in it as well. And actually, I think any English team, and I say this as like, even if West Ham make the Champions League, even like yeah, Spurs and even if, I don't know who else is in there, like Leicester, I think you'd expect them to be able to get out of the group stage. But it's, and I, don't, I mean, seedings make it hard and like you get one big, te- one big team. I'm not saying the Champions League is as easy as the Europa League group stage, but yeah, like if you're the Europa League, groups there you can pretty much have a second team that go at every home and away right but we can't do that in champions league but i think the financial benefits of being a champions league team mean that you can go and get that one world-class player mm-hmm. that really changes things you can't do that in five seasons of europa league but football you, okay so is there a risk though mate is there a risk that you're right so you qualify for the champions league you suddenly can go start buying champions league players attract champions league players yeah but if for whatever reason you don't genuinely believe that you will be able to sustain a Champions League campaign and finish in the top four, then don't you get yourselves in a massive problem the season after that by then being basically a Europa League team on a Champions League budget? Okay, I mean, I think if you... Ac- okay, Europa, so, sorry, I mean, like, if you Europa accidentally... League, yeah, you know I, mean. I know yeah. what you mean. I think if we accidentally... Like, what you're basically saying is if we accidentally qualify for the Champions League, <laughs> yeah. um, like, I think you get enough money to just deal with that problem and figure it out. Yeah. And like judging, we're not going to be buying Europa League players in next summer just because we're in the Europa League. We're going to be buying players who should be Champions League level. We're not buying them for one season. We're buying them for four yeah, seasons. Agreed. Agreed. And therefore what we should be doing is, you know, I think if we act like, like you said, if we accidentally qualify for Champions League a year ahead of plan, just deal with it. That We can deal with that. I think it's a good problem to have. And I don't think anyone really complains, but I, yeah, but I, I do honestly think that the club have basically just said, not that qualifying for the Champions League is not that important this season, but not at the cost of doing short-term signings that might cost us Champions League next season yeah. or might cost us the ability to sign a top, top-level player. And we don't know like what the finances are, but yeah, sometimes I wish that, you know, Arteta <laughs> can't come out and say that, right? Like, you can't come out and say that actually, like, it doesn't matter to us. Yeah. So we're going to like, we're happy to sabotage a season at the cost of getting Champions League. And like, the more we lose games, the, that is a question that's going to be asked. And no one will know, right? If we assigned a, a bang average striker in, in January and he had come on and got us an equalizer or got us a goal or something like that, or just even allowed us to like rest some players for 20 minutes here and there. Like who knows? Mm. I don't know. I think I'm more on the risky side, which is just take a risk sometimes. You know, like it's, you've got this long-term plan, but it's really hard to plan long-term in football. You don't get that luxury sometimes. And 
you know, yeah. if yeah. the board must have a huge amount of faith in Arteta sticking around, but you know, anything could happen in the summer. Well, th- and actually, yeah, I, I think, and this is a hypothetical. These, these are things that we'll never know. I think in their mind that they've said, these are the players that we want in the summer. And we believe that these players, not only can we afford them, but they will come to us even if we're not in the Champions League. If they have yeah. that in mind, and if they said, if we were to buy someone in January, a short-term fix in January, that might impact our ability to buy one of those players who we think will come even if we're in Europa League, then they're probably doing the right thing, right? In terms of... It, yeah, you would hope they have, yeah. they've had those conversations exactly. and, yeah. It, it, exactly. But these are the sorts of things, unfortunately, we will, we will never know. We have no idea. We have no idea. We could... Um, Debate it all day. Yeah, let's see. So, um, so quick question for you on that on that last point. Like, I've heard people say that actually we should drop Lacazette for the next yeah. game and start Eddie. Like, what do you no, think? I don't think so. I, oh, really? I don't think so. I think if you're going to do something different, then I think that you just try to go for Martinelli up front and play Smith Rowe on the left and play. Okay, okay. Yeah. But okay, there's two questions there. So A, would you drop Lacazette? Yeah. And then B, who do you start to replace him? I, but so question A, like, would you drop Lacazette next game? Um. Okay, honestly, I honestly I probably wouldn't drop Lacazette next game. Um, but I I would do everything I can to get us back into a system that is more familiar. Um, if that means kind of bringing Tavares. But listen, Southampton just lost six nil to Chelsea. Okay, um, yeah. they've been losing games left, right, and centre. I know we're away from home, but you know we, we, that doesn't really mean anything. So a bright, yeah, right? yeah, exactly. <laughs> look what exactly. happened. I I personally think we need to get back into that formation. I think we I think Tavares, even if 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 for whatever reason if he hates Tavares so much right now, and I hate strong word, but you know what I mean. If he really doesn't want to play Tavares for whatever reason, I would almost prefer that he put Cedric at left back, put Ben White at right back, and plays holding with Gabriel in the middle. But I think we, that's even more extreme. Isn't yeah, it? but at least but, but at least we can put Xhaka back in central midfield, and I want I'd love us to go back to having Xhaka in central midfield with Laconga. Yeah. So we can just then play, you know, Odegaard in in the space that he's he's doing so well in. Uh, just go back to some familiarity, and if we did that and we play Smith Rowe on the left and Saka on the right and Martinelli up front, I'd ra- I'd rather that than than for, for me with Eddie. It, it, what's really wound me up, uh, you know, over the last kind of however long is that because Lacazette hasn't been playing that well, he's had every. Mm-hmm. He, he, you know, Arteta was probably desperate for him to give him competition. He's probably desperate. Yeah, for yeah, it was why he keeps bringing him on every game. Yeah, yeah. desperate. And I look at him and I go, I, "You're not even trying that hard." Like I don't think he's trying that hard. I, like I, I, I don't look at him and think there's a guy who's really playing for like a Premier League future. Because forget it, if it, even if he doesn't want to play with us anymore, even if he doesn't think there's a future, he's got yeah. now. I remember, you know, Kish on the last podcast, you know, you, you know, when he was here, we were talking about Palace. I can't remember if he mentioned it on the podcast or, or to me previously, but, you know, he sort of said, Eddie's playing like a guy who already has a move. Like he's playing a guy who's already signed for someone else. Right. I wouldn't rule it out. Yeah. That, that's. But I don't, I mean, I think if he has, I don't think I, I think we probably handle that Balogun. Maybe, maybe it's happened recently, but I don't think we knowingly then go into the running or the second half of the season with just those two. And I don't think, I think we then keep someone like Balogun if he has. Mm. Um, but no, no, I'm, I'm like, it's very well known that I am no fan of Eddie. I don't think he's very good. But at this point, 
I'm that fed up with Lacazette's lack of any goal scoring ability that actually I'm starting to think that if that, if, you know, yeah, I think Martinelli is probably the right answer, but if he really is stuck to having Martinelli on the left-hand side, let's just give Eddie a game from, from the start and just see how he does. Because I, I don't think it can be any worse. Um, and I don't, I think actually he's looked okay in the last couple of games. Like I know he had that header where he hit the bar. That was actually a, a pretty good effort. And you know, at least having someone in the box, you know, he, he might miss two or three sitters, but at least if he gets that fourth, he'll take it and the chances will will be created and he'll he'll put one of them away eventually. Perhaps. I think, look... I, I know that the bar is very, very yeah, low. The bar, the the bar is low. Yeah. I think the other, the other thing is, although I don't believe that Smith Rowe's played well the last two games, I think he's still our top scorer. And I, I'm pretty okay. sure he's still our top scorer. And so I think... Given that the you know the bar is pretty low with regards to kind of you know the goal threat by whoever's playing number nine at the moment, is it yeah. really that bad an idea to just play Martinelli up top and play Emil Smithrow on the left hand side and maybe you know who knows let them rotate let them do whatever can that be worse? I'm, I'm not sure it can be. No, worse. I don't think I don't think it will. Yeah, I think that's probably the. Yeah, I think that's probably the best option. Um, he has to just give. Just change it because what it is now is not working. And I understand, you know, I understand why he likes the system because when Lacazette was dropping deep and when he was doing that well, he compensated for his lack of goals. By exactly. Because he was asked to in. do a role and, and yeah. others were scoring. Yes. But, but right now, even his build up play is rubbish. Yeah. Like I was watching him, he didn't do anything. No, it's like Lukaku style. The that. ball's bouncing off him. He's not, you know. Yeah, it's awful. Um, and. At that point, you you take him off. Like why 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 didn't he come off? Why did um, there's just a lot of questions around you know that team selection again. It goes back to it. I think he's one of the manager's favourites. Do you think the fact and actually that he would kind of he's captain as well? Do you think that affects it as well? I think the fact that actually like you're bringing on another 21 year old or 22 year old and Eddie, um, and at some point you might need a bit of senior experience in there, yeah. and that he values that experience. But, you know, you need to start showing for that experience. Otherwise, you know, you're, we might as well gamble on another 19-year-old, 20-year-old instead of him. Yeah. And, and how do you think, mate? Now, wh- where does this set us up? So we've just lost two games on the bounce. We're now going to go into this fairly tricky territory of games. But I suppose the first game, Southampton away, in theory, is still one that we should win. But like you described before, I mean, I, you know, I think you already talked about how kind of the 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 tide has really shifted from that kind of point where, Mm -hmm. you know, actually things look pretty promising and we expected maybe, you know, we do better than we we are right now and Spurs would do worse. Suddenly that's flipped around. Um, How do you, how do you see it now? Is your, is your feelings about where you think that we're going to finish in the league change to, uh, do you, do you think top four is gone? I think my, if I'm being realistic, I think it's gone. Um, And that's not, I don't think Spurs will be that good between I think Spurs will make mistakes. They're still Spurs. They will drop points. Um, but I have very little faith in us being able to put a run together to make up that, especially in, I think maybe if we're being optimistic, we'll probably beat Southampton and something will come good. But then we've got that run where I think it's Chelsea, Manchester United, and then West Ham. So Chelsea away, Man United at home, which we're going to. And then West Ham away. I think you're going to both West Ham away and Chelsea away, right? Yeah. Um, 
that run of games, you know, dare I say, it, I think we need nine points from those games now. I agree. And I think this is the slightly worrying thing. So I, 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 I'm completely with you on that. And I, I worry that actually our, our, our season could fall into a desperate, will we finish in the top six? I'm a bit worried about that, to be honest, because uh, because it could very quickly after this little run of games, th- there's every chance that we could lose two or three out of those games. Yeah. And then we're in a pretty precarious situation, right? When it, it, Then it becomes a point where there's a lot of pressure on yeah. us to get... Because you really don't want conference league. That's the disaster. You don't want conference league. So, yeah. so all of a sudden from a top four, will we, won't we? It'll become a top six. And, and the, the problem with that is I imagine that if we suddenly get top, we get pulled into a top six battle, the the mentality from the team to be able to go shift gears into a, oh, maybe we're going to finish top four into a, oh crap, we might have to hang on for a top six. I worry about how they will deal with that mentally. So the one, if I'm being trying to like cling to any hope here is that I don't think, I think all the teams around us will continue to lose games as well. We'll drop points. So I think we'll be in and amongst it right. for a while. So what, I, what I'm kind of hoping happens is, yeah, we'll drop points, but actually spurs will drop some points and this thing will like we could i think it'll be one of those where we could finish fourth but we could finish seventh like throughout the until like the second last game of the season especially like until we play spurs basically i think we'll be in and around it i don't think we'll crumble so badly that you know obviously if we lose to chelsea lose to man united and lose to west ham and lose to southampton then yeah that's like a battle for six now but you know you look at man united they're not playing well um West Ham are obviously a bit distracted at the moment dropping points here and there so you know am I confident that not only will we would it, would we be in a situation where we drop loads of points and then Man United and West Ham will pick up points yeah. probably not I think Spurs are the one that are on they're they're in form at the moment but you know it just takes a couple of a couple of games right we would have thought actually two games ago that we would be in a much better position now and we go and drop points out of nowhere that can happen to spares um, it's very true am i confident no i'm not confident at all i do think actually that we're going to really struggle unless we find we land on something by accident which really helps us rediscover our goal scoring mojo yeah the disappointing thing but, is from my perspective yeah. is from, from watching the last from being at the last two games i'm struggling to visualize us playing well at southampton like I, I, I'm almost struggling to visualize us playing well at the moment, and yeah, and that's what yeah yeah, yeah go on. no, it, and it, I think that what of, yeah. um what really annoyed me was actually I looked at this Brighton game and thought actually we couldn't ask for a better fixture post Palace to just find our form again, mm-hmm. rediscover what we were doing pre international break, but if anything it, it got worse. Mm-hmm. We made some odd tactical decisions, we made some odd personnel choices, we couldn't really get going up until the last three or four minutes. I don't know, but if I'm being optimistic, you look at our expected goals on um, on Saturday. We had, you know, we probably should have won that game if we look at the chances that we had versus what Brighton had. They, you know, they scored two really good goals. But you know, if I'm trying to cling to hope, maybe that was just a one-off where actually it just so happened that we couldn't find the right. You know, the game plan was wrong. They finished all their chances really well. We finished all our chances really badly. And what we have to hope is deep down inside, there is still a good team there with good players who know how to turn up. I think we do have to hope that. And I think that the, um, the, 
if if the boys can hold on to some of the instances that have happened previously in the season where we have bounced back and things have been okay and then results from other teams don't, like you say it's that, that i think they've got to just go back to that and just get over this disappointment because um there can definitely be twists and turns and i think i think if we do really show up against Southampton and let's say put a really convincing win i think all of a sudden things change a little bit right it does it does change very yeah quickly. very quickly and i think yeah chelsea are, are having their own challenges and you know we have gone you know we've gone to chelsea last season i think we won 1-0 away the season before that i want to say it was 2-2 um mm-hmm. you know like it's, anything can happen london derby we've got an okay record there like again you know so we 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 need to give ourselves a chance. And I think in order to give ourselves yeah. a chance, I think we, we really, really do need to beat Southampton. Um, I agree. And, and, and then, yeah, and then, and then we have a chance. Yeah, I think like, yeah, we do have a chance. I think we, you know, Chelsea could be out of the Champions League by then. They might have, uh, would it be after their cup game against Palace? Would they yeah, have played that game already? Or Yeah, okay. And maybe, you know, maybe they're out of the cup as well. And they think, oh, this is it. Like just a league to play for. Um, and they're not that excited by the challenge of just maintaining third place anymore, and they get a bit bored. Um, unlikely, but all sorts of things can happen. But I think what's clear is 100% on Mikel Arteta to make sure this doesn't turn into a slide yeah. of down the table, mm-hmm. and he has to has to beat Southampton. He has to. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I, I know that winning is, is obviously the main thing. I, I feel like... He not only has to win, I think he has to put in a good performance. I think we have to put in yeah. a good performance. I think without that, I think we're really going to struggle. Um, going, but I think we put in a good performance and we win, then I think that actually I'd give us a shot against Chelsea, you know, and, 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 you know, then, and I think it's, and it's all to play for again. But yeah, but we need a going forward as well, right? That's it. Like yeah. defensively, you know, I, I'm fairly confident that. You know, I know we've been conceding a few goals recently, but defensively, I still think we're okay. Yeah. Um, but what? Yeah, this is a game I'd rather win five one than one nil. Like, it sounds a bit dumb. Um, <laughs> I know what you mean. I, do, I so know it's what you stupid. Mean. You need a but, game. Um, I wouldn't. Yeah, I don't want a one nil where we then have a defensive masterclass. I'd rather win it actually, like five two or five three even. Yeah. Um, where um, we just show that we know how to score goals again. Yeah. I mean, and just to close off then, mate, what do you actually think will happen in the game? What's your prediction for Southampton? I think we'll win. Closer to a 1-0 or a 5-1? I think, yeah, I think, it, I think we'll win 1-0. Okay. And I think we'll probably score a scrappy goal. Hell, I'm going to even go out there and say we'll, it'll be an own goal. Um, and we will have a lot of questions going into Chelsea about what on earth we do with this team going forward. Yeah, I, I I agree. I I actually think similar. I can't see us. I can't see us racking up some kind of cricket score. Um, and honestly, if it wasn't for the fact that they've just been battered six nil, I would probably be predicting a draw. But you have to think that it's inconceivable for us to not go in with not confidence, I wouldn't say confidence, but it's a do or die situation playing against a team who just lost 6-0, right? You've got to show up. You've got to play with some confidence. You've got to, if you're an attacking unit and you think you can't score against a team who've just lost 6-0, you've got problems, 
right? You've got real problems. And so, I, I, but I'm going to, again, I'm still going to go just with a one nil. I, I think, I think we might play quite well, but I think we, we I don't think we will be clinical necessarily. And, you know, that great in front of the, so I think, I think a one, I'm going to go for a one nil as well. Um, I, I worry about if we concede first, you know, we haven't got a very good record of, you know, coming back when we concede, I can think of the Wolves game, but not that much else. Um, so I, I worry about if we were to concede first, but but maybe if we score first, I can see us kind of hanging on and 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 doing you know yeah. you know executing Rob Holding protocol and you know uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, look, uh, really fun to chat that to you. Fun. Yeah, really really enjoyable to chat to you. Obviously, you know most of our pods over the last however many weeks have just been like positive 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 so in some ways it was quite nice to be therapeutic in a therapeutic way to to actually have some stuff to like kind of moan about um but um you know hopefully we won't be moaning in the next pod and you know i think we we really need to win really looking forward to reflecting on that i don't know exactly when we're going to record because obviously we've got the midweek game afterwards etc but you know we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out um but mate thank you very much uh for for the time tonight and thanks everyone for listening really appreciate it please i should say this at the start but all the normal stuff please like (laughs) share subscribe all those things um it's really really helpful to us um yeah so so just appreciate it if you could do it um cool all right thanks aaron and um thank you everyone again and uh enjoy the rest of your week